They're here, everyone. They are the smart kids at the shops with their mothers or fathers, riding their bikes around the streets and playing down by the river, as well as talking to their friends on their smartphones. Join the smart kids each week as they discover, explore, and solve the mysteries of today. Here's your host, J.T. Crowley. Hello, and welcome to session five of me reading The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Hope you're enjoying the little excerpts that I'm reading to you. It's a wonderful book, and as I said to you throughout the last four podcasts, I thoroughly enjoyed this book as a kid. I'm going to read to you today an excerpt of chapter 11, because in the book there are 12 chapters, so I said I'd read the first two chapters, then the middle two chapters, and now I'm going to read the last two chapters. So this week I'm going to read chapter 11, and it's called Like Summer Tempters Came His Tears. So here we go. Sit back everybody and enjoy the next little excerpt of Kenneth Graham's The Wind in the Willows. The rat put out a neat little brown paw, gripped Toad firmly by the scruff of the neck, and gave a great hoist and a pull. And the water-logged toad came up slowly but surely over the edge of the hole, till at last he stood safe and sound in the hall, streaked with mud and weed. To be sure, and with the water streaming off him, but happy and high-spirited as of old, now that he found himself once more in the house of a friend, and dodgings and evasions were over and he could lay aside a disguise that was unworthy of his position and wanted such a lot of living up to. Oh, ratty, he cried. I've been through such times since I saw you last. You can't think. Such trials, such sufferings, and all so nobly born. Then such escapes, such disguises, such subterfuges, and also cleverly planned and carried out. Been in prison. Got out of it. Of course. Been thrown into a canal. Swam ashore. Stole a horse. Sold him for a large sum of money. Humbugged everybody. And made them all do exactly what I wanted. Oh, I am a smart toad and no mistake. What do you think my last exploit was? Now, just hold on until I tell you. Toad, said the water rat, gravely and firmly, you go off upstairs at once and take off that old cotton rag that looks as if it might formerly have belonged to some washerwoman, and clean yourself thoroughly and put up some of my clothes and try and come down looking like a gentleman, if you can, for a more shabby, bedraggled, disreputable looking object than you are I have ever set eyes on in my whole life. Now, stop swaggering and arguing and be off. I'll have something to say to you later. Toad was at first inclined to stop and do some talking back at him. He had enough of being ordered about when he was in prison and here was the thing being begun all over again, apparently, and by a rat too. However, he caught sight of himself in the looking-glass over the hat-stand, with the rusty black bonnet perched rakishly over one eye, 
and he changed his mind and went very quickly and humbly upstairs to the rat's dressing room. There he had a thorough wash and a brush-up, changed his clothes and stood for a long time before the glass, contemplating himself with pride and pleasure and thinking what utter idiots all the people must have been to have ever mistaken him for one moment for a washerwoman. By the time he came down again, luncheon was on the table, and very glad Toad was to see it, for he had been through some trying experiences, and had taken much hard exercise since the excellent breakfast provided for him by the gypsy. While they ate, Toad told the rat all his adventures, dwelling chiefly on his own cleverness and presence of mind in emergencies, and cunning in the tight places, and rather making out that he had been having a gay and a high-collared experience. But the more he talked and boasted, the more grave and silent the rat became. When at last Toad had talked himself to a standstill, there was silence for a while. And then the rat said, Now, Toady, I don't want to give you pain after all you've been through already, but seriously, don't you see what an awful ass you've been making of yourself. On your own admission, you have been handcuffed, imprisoned, starved, chased, terrified out of your life, insulted, jeered at, and ignominiously flung into the water by a woman too. Where's the amusement in that? Where does the fun come in it? And all because you must needs go and steal a motor car. You know that you've never had anything but trouble for motor cars from the moment you first set eyes on one. But if you will be mixed up with them, as you generally are, five minutes after you've started, why steal them? Be a cripple, if you think it's exciting. Be a bankrupt for a change. If you've set your mind on it, but why choose to be a convict? When are you going to be sensible and think of your friends and try and be a credit to them? Do you suppose it's my pleasure to me, for instance, to hear animals saying as I go about that I am the chap that keeps company with jailbirds? Now, it was a very comforting point to Toad's character that he was a thoroughly good-hearted animal and never minded being jawed by those who were his real friends. And even when most set upon him things, he was always able to see the other side of the question. So, although while the rat was talking so seriously, he kept saying to himself, mutinously, but it was fun, though awful fun, and making strange suppressed noises inside him, and other sounds resembling stifled snorts or the opening of a soda of water bottles. Yet, when the rat had finished, he heaved a deep sigh and said, very nicely and humbly, Quite right, ratty. Now, sound you always are. Yes, I've been a conceited old ass. I am quite, see that. But now I'm going to be a good toad, and not to do it any more. As for motor cars, I have not been at all so keen about them since my last ducking in that river of yours. The fact is, whilst I was hanging onto the edge of your hole and getting my breath, I had a sudden idea. 
a really brilliant idea connected with motorboats. There. There. Don't take on, said old chap, and stamp and upset things. It was only our idea, and we won't talk any more about it now. We'll have your coffee, and a smoke, and a quiet chat, and then I'm going to stroll quietly down to Toad Hall, and get into clothes of my own, and set things going again on the old lines. Had enough of adventures. I shall need a quiet, steady, respectful life. Pottering about my property and improving it, and doing a little landscape gardening at times. There will always be a bit of dinner for my friends when they come to see me, and I shall keep a pony chase to jog about the country in, just as I used to in the good old days before I got restless and I wanted to do things. Stroll quietly down to Town Hall, cried the rats, greatly excited. What are you talking about? Do you mean to say you haven't heard? Heard what? said Toad, turning rather pale. Go on, Ratty, quick, don't spare me. What haven't I heard? Do you mean to tell me, shouted the Rat, thumping his little fist upon the table, that you've heard nothing about the stoats and weasels? What? The wild wooders? cried Toad, trembling in every limb. No, not a word. What have they been doing? And how have they been untaken Toad Hall? continued the rat. Tone leaned his end bells on the table, and his chin on his paws, and a large tear welled up in each of his eyes, overflowed and splashed on the table. Plop, plop. Hmm. Go on, Ratty, he murmured presently. Tell me all. The worst is over. I am an animal again. I can bear it, you know. When you got into that 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 trouble of yours, said the rat, slowly and impressively, I mean, when you disappeared from society for a time over that misunderstanding about a, a, a machine, you know. Toad merely nodded. Well, it was a good deal talked about down here, naturally, continued the rat, not only along the roadside, but even in the wild wood. Animal took sides, as always happens. The river bankers stuck up for you and said you had been infamously treated and there was no justice to be had in the land nowadays. But the wild wood animals said hard things and served you right and it was time this sort of thing was stopped. And they got very cocky and went about saying you were done for his time. You would never come back ever again. Toad nodded once more, keeping silence. That's the sort of little beasts they are, the rat went on. But Mole and Badger, they stuck out through thick and thin that you would come back again soon, somehow. They didn't know exactly how, but somehow. Toad began to sit up in his chair again and to smirk a little. They argued for a history, continued the rat. They said that no criminal laws had ever been known to prevail against cheek and plausibility such as yours, combined with the power of a long purse. So they arranged to move their things into Toad Hall and sleep there and keep it aired and have it all ready for you when you turned up. They didn't guess what was going to happen, of course. Still, they had their suspicions of the wild wood animals. 
Now I come to the most painful and tragic part of my story. One dark night. It was a very dark night and blowing hard too and raining simply cats and dogs. A band of weasels, armed to the teeth, crept silently up the carriage drive to the front entrance. Simultaneously, a body of desperate ferrets, advancing through the kitchen garden, possessed themselves of the backyard and offices, while a company of skirmishing stoats, who stuck at nothing, occupied the conservatory and the billiard room, and held the French windows opening on to the lawn. The mole and the badger were sitting by the fire in the smoking room, telling stories and suspecting nothing, for it wasn't a night for any animals to be out in, when those bloodthirsty villains broke down the doors and rushed in upon them from every side. They made the best fight they could, but what was the good? They were unarmed and taken by surprise, and what can two animals do against hundreds? They took and beat them severally with sticks, those two poor faithful creatures, and turned them out into the cold and the wet with many insulting and uncalled-for remarks. Here the unfeeling toad broke into a snigger, and then pulled himself together and tried to look particularly solemn. And the wild wooders have been living in Toad Hall ever since, continued the rat, and going on simply anyhow, lying in bed half the day and breakfast at all hours, and the place in such a mess, I'm told. It's not fit to be seen, eating your grub and drinking your drink and making bad jokes about you and singing vulgar songs about, well, about prison and magistrates and policemen, horrid personal songs with no humour in them. And they're telling the chase people and everybody that they've come to say, to stay for good. Oh, have they? said Toad, getting up and seizing a stick. I'll jolly well soon see about that. It's no good, Toad, called the rat after him. You'd better come back and sit down. You'll only get into trouble. But the toad was off, and there was no holding him. He marched rapidly down the road, his stick over his shoulder, fuming and muttering to himself in his anger, till he got near his front gate. Then suddenly there popped up from behind the palings a long yellow ferret with a gun. Who comes there? said the ferret sharply. Stuff and nonsense, said Toad very angrily. What do you mean by talking like that to me? Come out of there at once, or I'll... The ferret ne said never a word, but he brought his gun up to his shoulder. Toad prudently dropped flat on the road, and bang, a bullet whistled over his head. The startled Toad scrambled to his feet and scampered off down the road as hard as he could, and as he ran he heard the ferret laughing and horrid, thin little laughs at taking it up and carrying on the sound. He went back, very crestfallen, and told the water rat. What did I tell you? said the rat. It's no good. They've got sentries posted and they are all armed. You must just wait. Still, Toad was not inclined to give in all at once. So he got out the boat and set off rowing up the river to where the garden front of Toad Hall came down to the waterside. Arriving within the sight of his old home, he rested on his oars and surveyed the land cautiously. 
all seemed very peaceful and deserted and quiet. He could see the whole front of Toad Hall glowing in the evening sunshine, the pigeons settling by twos and threes along the straight line of the roof. The garden, a blaze of flowers, the creek that led up to the boathouse, the little wooden bridge that crossed it, all tranquil, uninhabited, apparently waiting for his return. He would try the boathouse first, he thought. Ah, very warily, he paddled up to the mouth of the creek and was just passing under the bridge when, crash! A great stone dropped from above, smashed through the bottom of the boat. It filled and sank, and Toad found himself struggling in deep water. Looking up, he saw two stoats leaning over the parapet of the bridge and watching him with great glee. It'll be your head next time, Toady, they called out to him. The indignant Toad swam to the shore, while the stoats laughed and laughed, supporting each other, and laughed again till they nearly had two fits, and that is, one fit each, of course. The Toad retraced his weary foot on foot and related his disappointing experiences to the water rat once more. What did I tell you? said the rat very crossly. And now, look here. See what you've been and done. Lost me my boat that I was so fond of. That's what you've done. And simply ruined that nice suit of clothes that I lent you. Really, Toad, all of the trying animals. I wonder you managed to keep any friends at all. The Toad saw at once how wrongly and foolishly he had acted. He admitted his errors and wrong-headedness and made a full apology to Rat for his losing his boat and spoiling his clothes. And he wound up by saying, with that frank self-surrendered, which always disarmed his friends, criticism and won them back to his side. Ratty, I see that I've been a headstrong and a willful Toad. Henceforth, believe me, I will be humble and submissive. I will take no action without your kind advice and full approval. If that is really so, said the good-natured rat, already appeased, then my advice to you is, considering the lateness of the hour, to sit down and have your supper, which will be on the table in a minute, and be very patient, for I am convinced that we can do nothing until we have seen the mole and the badger and heard their latest news and held conference and taken their advice in this difficult matter. Oh, ah, yes, of course, the mole and the badger, said Toad, lightly. What's become of them, the dear fellows? I had forgotten all about them. Well, you may ask, said the rat reproachfully, while you were riding about in the country in expensive motor cars and galloping proudly on blood horses and breakfasting on the fat of the land, those two poor devoted animals have been camping out in the open in every sort of weather, living very rough by day and lying very hard by night, watching over your house, patrolling your boundaries, keeping a constant eye on the stoats and the weasels, scheming and planning and contriving how to get your property back for you. You don't deserve to have such true and loyal friends, Toad. You don't. You really don't. Some day, when it's too late, you'll be sorry you didn't value them more while you had them. 
I'm an ungrateful beast, I know, sobbed Toad, shedding bitter tears. Let me go out and find them, out into the cold, dark night, and share their hardship, and try and prove by... Hold on a bit, surely. I heard the clink of dishes on a tray. Supper's here at last. Hooray! Come on, Ratty! The rats remembered that poor Toad had been on prison fare for a considerable time, and that large allowances had therefore to be made. He followed him to the table accordingly, and hospitably encouraged him in his gallant efforts to make up for the past privations. They had just finished their meal and resumed their armchairs when there came a heavy knock at the door. <coughs> Toad was nervous, but the rat, noddingly mysterious at him, went straight up to the door and opened it, and in walked Mr. Batcher. He had all the appearance of one who for some nights had been kept away from home and all its little comforts and conveniences. His shoes were covered with mud and he was looking very rough and tousled. And then he had never been a very smart man, the badger, at the best of times. He came solemnly up to Toad, shook him by the paw and said, Welcome home, Toad, at last. What am I saying? Home, indeed. This is the poor home welcoming. Unhappy Toad. Then he turned his back on him, sat down to the table, drew his chair up and helped himself to a large slice of cold pie. Toad was quite alarmed. That's this very serious and portentous style of greeting. But the rats whispered to him, Never mind, don't take any notice, and don't say anything to him just yet. He's always rather low and despondent when he's wanting his victuals. In half an hour's time, he'll be quite a different animal. So they waited in silence, and presently there came another, and a lighter knock. The rat, with a nod to Toad, went to the door and ushered in the mole very shabby and unwashed with bits of hay and straw sticking in his fur. Hooray! Here's old Toad, crowed the mole, his face beaming. Fancy having you back again, and he began to dance around him. We never dreamt you would turn up so soon. Why, you must have managed to escape, you clever, ingenious, intelligent Toad. The rat, alarmed, pulled him by the elbow, but it was too late. Toad was puffing and swelling already. Oh, clever. Oh, no, he said. I'm not really clever, according to my friends. I've only broken out of the strongest prison in England, that's all, and captured a railway train and escaped on it, that's all, and disguised myself and gone about the country, humbugging everybody, that's all. Oh, no, I'm a stupid ass. I am. I'll tell you one or two of my little ventures, Paul, and you shall judge for yourself. Well, well, said the mole, moving towards the supper table, supposing you talk while I eat. Not a bite since breakfast. Oh my, oh my. And he sat down and helped himself liberally to cold pea, cold beef, that is, and pickles. So there you have a little, uh, another excerpt from The uh, Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, this fabulous great book that I loved, as I said several times as a kid. And that's why I'm reading excerpts for you. Next week, I'm going to read the last chapter. And then that'll be the last of the excerpts of um, 
The Wind and the Willow by Kenneth Graham. And I'll probably then move on to do a few more readings of maybe Tom Sawyer, or maybe I will start doing the interviews with the authors that have lined up for you all. So have a great day, guys. Kids, be safe, have fun, like my characters do. And I will see you next week when I'll read you the last chapter and excerpt, that is, not the whole of the chapter, from The Wind and the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to The Smart Kids. Want to follow more of their adventures? Check out The Smart Kids by J.T. Crowley on Amazon.com now.